Welcome to another edition of the Strip Till Farmer Podcast, brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing. I'm your host, Noah Newman, technology editor. Great to have you with us today as we ride along with Marlette, Michigan strip tiller Ryan Shaw, while he makes spring strips with his environmental tillage system, Soil Warrior. So Ryan and his wife, Melissa, were recipients of the 2023 Strip Till Innovator Award. And in this podcast, Ryan talks about their innovative strip till system, which includes twin rows, cover crops, homemade equipment, and much more. Ryan also shares his strip-till origin story, some of the learning experiences along the way, and the key to maintaining a healthy work-life balance. We're making strips, freshening them up. They had fall strips last fall in uh, under soybean stubble. And uh, we don't normally do it, but it's going soybeans back to soybeans just because of the rotation this year. So we're just making some strips ahead of the planter, trying to stay somewhat close. So don't look like any rain coming right away. So yeah. trying to save a little bit of the moisture. And, uh, we got, this is a cereal rye that we have. We used our interseeder to seed down in between our planting zones. And uh, we'll terminate it later. Uh, when we spray the pre. Uh, we try to cover all 100% of the acres, at least with the cover crops in between our planting zones. We had started out doing full coverage ones, but it uh, we had a little bit of trouble getting a good seed bed sometimes if it got too, too big. So this gives us a bigger window. And we're actually trying to make this soil warrior they set up for us is, uh, it's got a widening kit on it. So it's a little bit wider of a strip that it makes. And uh, we're hitting it with the planter is a twin row planter. So we're planting twin row soybeans into that strip. About how deep do you go? Kind of give us the nuts and bolts of how your uh, strip till system works. Oh, we're uh, trying to go about three, three to four inches deep in the spring. In the fall, we try to bury it as uh, five to seven, as deep as we can get with it, in hopes to make a. A lot of times we hope to stale seed bed onto the fall strips, but this year the weather is cooperating enough to freshen them up and not applying anything right now but this soil warrior does in the fall will has two tanks on it uh will variable rate uh two different products into the berm at the same time we've used it if we aren't using a tank or we're not applying fertilizer we sometimes will put oats and other like buckwheat stuff that'll terminate in the winter frost will kill it we'll blow that out and put it in our berm just to help try and hold the berm together a little bit. And what are some of your uh, strip-till truths? Like some things you've learned over the years that really help you guys have some success out here. Oh, well, one big one with our twin row is you can't get too aggressive with trying to get more depth out of the tiller because the back disc on the soil warrior will go deeper than the front one and that's the same slots as the seat uh, openers go on the planter and the front row to the tailing row of the planter will get different depths and it makes it kind of tough to set up sometimes uh really it's a lot of our strip tilling do's and don'ts was mostly came during harvest time to know when to just hang it up for the day if the field's too wet or you're making a mess making tracks with a green cart just let those problems come back to haunt you the next spring and so we've gotten a lot better at being patient that if if we're kind of making a mess in the fall that we'll just stop that it'll be a lot easier on us in the spring You prefer to go in the fall, but if need be, you'll call an audible and go in the spring. Yep. Yeah, if if the 
if it's just not fit in the fall and we're just gonna be kind of sliming through stuff or the soil's too wet, if we don't have to get the fertilizer down, we'll just hold off and not make any strips till spring. Just that we found that uh, you work something too wet, you can. It's quite a commitment then the next spring that uh, to undo what you thought you were doing in the fall. Sometimes we break the field like this, and he's got row shutoffs on his planter, so he likes to plant the inside passes of the headland first, so that the planter will shut off. So sometimes we have to do partials just so that I don't get too far ahead of them and it don't dry out too much. Now this cart is a steerable cart, and the tractor and the implement are both steered. So that really helps for we have quite a few of these fields that have angle headlands and around we got really good drainage ditches around here so but they aren't all square to the world we actually still have oats in the soil warrior right now we were oh you do applying oats last fall into the berm and uh it got too late we thought we were just going to be wasting them it was going to get too cold so that's why there's about 3,400 pounds of oats in there. <laughs> we just haven't took them out yet because sometimes in the spring it gets hard enough here on some of our gumbo clays. We've actually bought floor dry before and filled the hopper with like a tota floor dry just to add more weight to it if we don't have any fertilizer in it. So then that, that spruce over there, right at the planter. Yep. And that's a 12-row stack-fold planter, twin-row, the center fill. And then uh, he's pulling a roller right behind it that is uh, an ETS roller for strip-till. Covers three of the berms uh, at a time, and it, it contours to it so you don't get that bridging. It came with a cement block on it for weight, and two years ago we added that liquid tank to it, and... Uh, He's pumping up the liquid fertilizer for Inferro. And then what does your fertilizer mix look like? What's in it? How many pounds? It varies from field to field? Or? Yeah, it varies quite a bit. Now that pop-up stuff is just, uh, oh, it's just a series of like a micro pack just to help things get a bump started. And uh, then there's, we aren't putting any dry down with this most of everything for the soybeans would have gotten done last fall with the, uh, with the strip tiller. Use mostly dry stuff when we can. Uh, and for the corn and beets, it's, uh, we pull a yetter tank behind the planter and we'll put uh, an inferro pop-up and then we also do a two-by-two of the 28, some thiazol, some zinc, just to try and get it in the soil. Um, we were fanning it out the back behind the closing wheels before, but now we're, we put disc on it, get it in the soil so it's in the right place and then we don't have to use nearly the volumes that we were using before. You always forget to change the swath when you go from a headland to a straight. <laughs> I see all the monitors in here, so what are you using to kind of make strip till work? Do you use a lot of precision technology? or? Yeah, we're using, uh, well, it's got the RTK steer in the tractor in the cart. Now we got. Uh, we put a camera up so that we could see behind us mostly if we're going down the road, but I got a, we put another one that's in, down in between the rows just so you can see what you're, if you're blowing the row out or you're throwing the trash too far, just to kind of get an idea of what things look like when it's in motion. Uh, can't always, you're going fast enough, no one can run alongside it to see what it's doing. and. 
Nope. If you're just here by yourself, that really helps to just make sure that everything, things look like they're not boiling over or boiling out of the, the burn. Now, uh, the gauges are, uh, one's for the road cleaner down pressure, the other one's for the wings, and then the other, the black set is for uh, tram lines. It has a separate set of air for the three rows that are on each side of our tram lines and behind the wheel tracks. Every once in a while, we'll get into areas with our controlled traffic that uh, if it's a spot where the planter and the side dresser and the sprayer all happen to match up on that same path, every once in a while you'll see you do need a little bit more down pressure to make a good burn. We spent a lot of time thinking about what what it was that we wanted to do. We knew we wanted to get soybeans through a seed plate, so we started with a planter and uh, and then we knew we were going to get the soil warrior. So we set it up, made sure we could make one planter cover all our acres at the time. And then uh, the ETS helped us to make sure that we were going to be able to hit twin rows on it. And then the big issue was the sugar beets. Whether or not we were going to be able to go from corn stubble stalks into sugar beets and deal with all that residue and we actually are a little different than most with the twin row corn we plant the following year right over the corn stubble and we never move our planting zone so where we have these cover crops is actually our never till area and we're always planting in that same planting zone so when we do single row sugar beets we're actually planting them in a seed bed between the twin row corn root balls. So we, that took a little bit, three or four years to try and get brave enough to do it on a volume of acres. The first few years we only tried it on a 30 here or a 40 there, just to see if, if we were gonna be able to make it work. And each year we seemed to find something that we wanted to tweak a little more, whether it was not dislodge the root balls or just slice them run the row cleaners in the fall or not and each year I guess you kind of you tweak it a little bit and then the weather changes its mind the next year and mother nature always wins so oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're always we're always adjusting something so why strip till you know why is this uh, a good system for where you guys farm and what were your big motivations for starting the strip till well, I uh, when Dad and I started the farm, he was big into conservation, doing things a little bit different. He wanted to try no-till, but we were struggling a little bit with it just because it was such that delay in that lag time to where everyone says you plant, you got to go away for two weeks and go camping. It just has a slow start. So he thought that strip-till maybe would be kind of solution to that and uh, more and more we kept looking at it we we thought we could make it work it just there was no one around the area to be able to really talk to too much about it because it, it's not a real popular thing around our area so that's when we started going out to the strip till conference and we've met a lot of great people out there we just end up, we go every year just to see the people that we've we've met along the way and we've actually got a lot of our information and a lot of answers to our questions from the people out there that uh, are like-minded or, or think the same way that just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong and it doesn't mean that the way we were doing it before was wrong. It just, oh, we're always trying to get a little better. That, uh, so you go to the strip-till conference every year pretty much, right? Yeah, about every year. I think we missed the very first one because we didn't know it was a thing. And uh, that was the first year we bought the, the Soil Warrior. The next year we ended up going out and did the training course and all that stuff. And we just 
we we enjoyed it so much because we couldn't believe all the answers to our questions that we were able to get in one place where you know we might have a list of questions and you could ask people around here and and they were interested in it but they didn't want to give you an answer one way or the other because we just we up here we didn't have that education yet we it was still new to the area we've been so you you highly recommend you know if there's someone getting started in script tailor even if someone has been doing it for a while to, to go to the conference yes yep that's what there's a few people that have gotten with some of the uh conservation the, the programs and stuff and are interested in it and we tell them that we you've got we're gonna be going you got us even just buy tickets for people and send people out there that it's it's really something to to attend that it you can get a lot of information and kind of calm those fears of it's not gonna work or I don't want to make that it's a big investment to switch a farm over and try to learn something new it was a big learning curve from what we were used to doing and more of a patience thing that we spend a lot more time now sitting around the table deciding our crop plans with uh, a cover crop plan uh, just different things that we can do that it doesn't take us long to get out in the field and do the actual work but we've been fine-tuning where we're applying stuff, what we can get away with, what we can't. Uh, if we could, if we're going to be making strips, if we're going to plant cover crops first, that's why we only put the cover crops between our plant zone. It opened up that window to chase the combine with the cedar and then strip it after, even if the rye already comes up and you're not wasting that half of your cover crop seed. So it was just a few random things that we had to see first and realize, well, we can shave a few dollars off here. We can save a little bit there. It, we've made it work. And it kind of all works as a system. We switched to that twin row, corn and beans. Same year we did the started strip tilling. So we've had people ask us, well, does the twin row corn yield more than single uh, our yields have went up uh, about 10 to 15 bushel on a 10 year average from what they were when we were conventional farming but technology and hybrids and everything all come into play in the system I, I couldn't say that I would be right if I pointed it in one just gave the credit to one thing or the other I think it's it all working together did take a lot of planning to figure out. We knew we were only going to get equipment to a certain size and we wanted to have our controlled traffic and we wanted to do that 30 foot, 60 foot and 90 foot with the sprayer and that was a little learning curve to where and when can I, should when I come in and spray the second time, should I move over so I'm not just always on that same one pounding it down every year and it seems like now we've kind of amended at first our tram lines looked like like the dirt road that it was you could tell where we were driving for sure but we knew we were making compaction but you we could address it if we knew where it was at that we didn't want it just in random spots all over so we are pretty careful about Bruce runs the grain cart and we always joke that we turn when we first got started we would turn around in the middle of the field and you know he's full he's got to go trucks at the other end but he turned around in the middle of the field a couple times and then we got playing around on Google Earth was popular and we could see those spots in our field and see where somebody turned around with the grain cart. And we joke now that if we see that, well, the grain cart guy got fired that year. Because we, we joke around that it you you can't get away with anything because yeah. it shows up later. So we do fill 
and if he's full and he needs to, he'll go to the headland to turn around there and then come back straight and shot to the truck. It uh, seems like a small thing or someone's nitpicking, but it's just been something that we started at the beginning and it just seemed like it looks cleaner to us that we don't see those spots where we turned around, but it's more that compaction that you were causing where you were off of your tram lines. We did have to put a longer auger on our combine to reach the green cart so the green cart could stay on a tram line. So it was kind of that small stuff. Yeah. And it, when we would ask some of the dealers, like, hey, we want to do this, we need to get a little farther out, or it seemed like we were asking for too much, or we were being too nitpicky. We had our reason why we were looking for it. Yeah. And that to most people wouldn't matter and it probably shouldn't matter to us but it just was like well once we got used to okay well we gotta improve a little bit here and there and it was like we noticed those things and so we tried to change we've we built a band sprayer you know everybody around here got rid of a band sprayer has one sitting behind a shed but last year we built one just for we grow cereal rye, and you always have, we're, we're saving it for seeds, so we turn the fan up, you're blowing a lot out the back, so it ends up looking like a broadcasted rye field when we're done, and it all volunteer grows up, and we didn't know what to do about it, so we ended up buying a band sprayer so we could go in and, or build that band sprayer so we could band out and kill our planting zone so that our strip tiller could make a better seed bed for us. Just because we had we had fought before with some solid seeded cover crops and if it got too much of a root mass, we, we couldn't close that seed trench real good and the trash would almost wick and dry. It was hair pinning stuff. So that was one curve we had to kind of overcome was we wanted to cover 100% of the acres with cover crops. How are we going to do it and know each field? One wasn't going to get left out with that one ended up with bad seed bed. And let's burn a quick time out to share a message from Yetter Farm Equipment. Yetter Farm Equipment has been providing farmers with residue management, fertilizer placement, and seed bed preparation solutions since 1930. Today, Yetter is your answer for success in the face of ever-changing production agriculture challenges. Yetter offers a full lineup of planter attachments designed to perform in varying planting conditions, multiple options for precision fertilizer placement, strip-till units, and stalk rollers for your combine. Yetter products maximize your inputs, save you time, and deliver return on your investment. Visit them at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Now back to the podcast. majority of stuff we started dad liked to flirt around and stuff he did radishes and oats and stuff like that but now we use basically cereal rye in the fall for everything and we'll cover all the acres with the cereal rye out of the planting zone now we then will strip our planting zone in the fall and a lot of times it'll have oats and buckwheat in it other is, it, and that all goes through the an interseeder that we built. Oh, you built your own interseeder? Yep. Yeah, we built our own interseeder, and everybody said, we used, why would you build an interseeder that's so nice just to interseed your corn? And, you, and all the ups and downs of the interseeding of the corn. And we said, well, no, we want it. Basically, we built it to do what, what this is out here with the seeding outside of our planting zone. It was more a benefit that we were able to use it and interseed our standing corn. That interseed mix is usually about a seven 
to eight way mix of we've done clovers and hairy vetch and rapeseed and buckwheat annual rye a little bit of everything some winter peas and just kind of trying different things we usually try to do three years in a row of the same mix to rule out environmental and we've kind of now settled in on a, a blend but every once in a while we're adjusting the pounds of each one that we put in just to, depending on what we see thrives in the fall after harvest because we're not really going for trying to bump a yield in the corn or feed that corn anything we just want something there covering the ground because corn harvest gets late and we're just so cold then it's hard to get something started and cover the ground for the winter time yeah. what are the best benefits of cover crops oh man a lot of them yes <laughs> we we just love them too you can suppress a lot of weeds if it's done right and and that's one thing we if you're gonna use cover crops you gotta have a reason why you're using them it's not just a trend thing we use it a lot for suppressing weeds like this bean field will get sprayed with a pre but we won't terminate this rye we'll let it grow up and when I spray my Liberty Pass, it'll bleach it out. It won't quite kill it. The second Liberty Pass will pretty much knock it out from putting any seeds in the head. But that stuff will be standing up quite tall. And it, when it lays down, it helps hold a lot of our weeds down. And with us not moving our planting zone, that never-till area, we seem to have suppressed a lot of the weeds out of that area. I don't know if seeds are still in that bank <laughs> and if we were ever to till that area up if we'd have a lot of weeds or not but we've been trying to use less or use less herbicides and use it to kind of conquer that the inner seeding into the corn is we'll spray a pre and burn the rye down that's the cover that's there and we'll never go back in and spray again we usually wait till we can interseed it and then let that choke everything out and kind of shade the ground. And one strange thing we found about the interseeding is if you have any patches out in that cornfield that drowned it out or don't look good or the corn's thin, the cover crops will thrive in that area and they'll keep all the weeds out. When you go through the combine, you don't come across that drowned out area and it's not just a big patch of weeds. And then you might know, well, that's where you gotta take a load of dirt and fill in the low spot, or, or that's where I needed to have a surface ditch. <laughs> so weed control is the biggest benefit. Yeah. Yep. That's a big one. Yeah, and then trying to keep our soil covered I mean, we do get the, there's a series of those wind farms around here that, well, I mean, we get our fair share of wind and just trying to keep the soil we have protected enough to keep it on our own field. Uh, it keeps our soil active. I think it's helping build, I mean, it's not a quick thing to build organic matter, but little bit of the biomass you're putting back down in there helps yeah. and well he only gets so many farming seasons so we figure you know we better keep up with it otherwise we might not get to see those benefits but we're hoping to pass this the farm on to our kids when we have some that it uh kind of paying it forward I think sounds like your dad was always kind of conservation-minded, though. Yes. Yep. He kind of instilled that in you. Yeah, he, uh, he definitely helped set us up for success that, uh, you know, so that's kind of bled on to us that we got to leave this ground better than we found it, and dad did a pretty good job. It was pretty good when we got it, 
that we got our work ahead of us if we want to leave it for the next generation. That it's, it's we've been blessed and call it God's country here. We're in this just right area. We're just far enough away from the lake and just close enough too. <laughs> yep. No. So did you ever, were you on the farm your whole life or did you leave at any point to go to school or anything? Or? Yeah, I, uh, I started working with dad and his brothers on the big farm and then uh, I graduated high school and it was one of those things where it wasn't a real option. I had to at least go to school, is what my mom told me, <laughs> and try it out. And I went for a year, and it just wasn't for me. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. The education was good, but getting a job and being inside in the city, it just wasn't for me. Sitting at a desk all day off. Yeah, I, I needed to be outside, so I talked it over with dad and he told me I could come home and so I started farming with him and we farmed a year and a half or I did with the big farm full time and then dad decided yep this is what you want to do and it was quite a big farm there was 13 of us grandkids we mutually agreed on we separated from them and started our own farm and that opened up the opportunity for my other cousins to take over that farm and it was it was a good thing and we worked our way up we had about 800 acres and now we're just over 1400 so we we doubled in size and it was plenty enough to plenty enough to keep us busy with only three of us yeah Uh, we ended up dad passed away last february Uh, sorry to hear that yeah it was for the better he uh he was never got sick never in the hospital got that early onset alzheimer's at 56 and he he got 10 good years out of it afterwards and but he had said he he was i mean we were close enough we worked together every day he said this is gonna be your problem it's time i pay mom back for all the years i had a fireman habit and they went and enjoyed stuff and but he was ecstatic that we were taking this to the next step that after the first 10 years that we were on our own, that we were started strip tilling and, and he was ecstatic to come to the fields and see it, that, that everything he had thought about doing and accomplishing, we were, we were making happen. And he was just ecstatic about it. Yeah, he's got to be really proud of you of it. Yeah, and it was, he saw he got to be here for some of the the, the the learning curve and the struggles and he seen that yeah it was it was just too bad that he didn't get to see it firsthand now where now it's the rewarding part like yeah. we're seeing the changes after about five years was when we seen the soil started to do something and it it was like we revived it we woke it back up and it started paying us back for the way we were treating it and it was like that reward that hey this is working we we can stick with this because it was it was a nerve-wracking thing that first year and like is this gonna work is stuff gonna grow or you know and you always have that fear everybody's watching and they they want to learn something too and it was like just don't let us fall on our face. <laughs> and you stuck with it. Yep. And and we're really happy we did. It brought... It's not that farming wasn't fun before, but it seemed the same type of... We were always doing the same stuff. This brought a lot of excitement to it, or what can we do different, or what could we change, and it just brought a whole new meaning to the way we did it. That's why you're the innovator of the year. You're, you're always looking for new ways to uh, do stuff. It seems like. And you're man, building your own inner seeder, I mean, that's pretty innovative. We love to learn. And there's so much that you, we haven't learned that 
and we go to all these meetings and stuff and it's just like when we leave the, the ride home is just like it isn't quiet at all it's like well I talked to this person and we learned this and it's we're constantly learning from other people what we can add to our system that somebody else has done also and like hey we can make that fit maybe we gotta just adjust this or that it has really made it it fun and if you're gonna do something for a living it should be fun dad had said when we split off he said we're gonna farm if we're gonna have fun doing it if we don't we better find something else to do <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you spend a lot of your life working you might as well enjoy work yep well uh there's just three of us most of my wife and i and my uh neighbor bruce and uh bruce is like family to us he uh he runs the planner and he's like our major operator uh we we feed him seed chemical fertilizer all that he does a lot of the he's like a shop manager he can tell us what he knows the planner needs and a lot of times melissa and i will organize the parts or making sure the chemicals are at the farm or the fertilizers delivered on time melissa does all of our nutrient management she with the strip till it threw some people off with how we wanted the soil test so she thought it maybe be better if we did it ourselves and she has a whole system for how she pulls her samples and puts them all together. Some from in the berm, some from out of the berm. And uh, then she works with a, a guy and they make recommendations. So she makes all of our prescriptions, loads them in for us. And then she does a lot of the scouting for me for even the pest management. And then uh, I run the sprayer, we usually run the soil warrior in the spring jumping in and out of it and then jump into the spray to throw the pre's on and then uh, we'll usually go into side dressing and interceding and band spraying and usually Bruce does most all that it's good because that's the heat of the year as long as the air conditioner keeps working for them we just keep keep them going and uh, then when it comes time for harvest uh, I usually run the combine Bruce will run the green cart. Uh, we may do it a little different this fall. I think I've convinced Melissa that she can run the combine and then I'll run the dryer. But she's been actually running the dryer for us and she does a really good job. She's patient enough to wait for the cooling fans to finish where sometimes if it's me, oh, it's ran for 15, 20 minutes. That's good. It doesn't need to run 45 minutes and I drop it. <laughs> so she keeps us honest she's our she's the one she runs the topper in the sugar beets and I run the harvester and Bruce runs the chain cart for loading the trucks and uh, usually Melissa being the topper if it starts raining she can just stop topping and she makes that decision it's time to stop they, can't harvest beets that aren't top so <laughs> she keeps us honest out there and, and keeps us from mudding up a field or just plain making a mess where sometimes my old old mentality is well we're all here we, we should get something done even it'll quit raining it, it'll stop in 10 minutes and she's usually the wise one that tells us let's just try again tomorrow <laughs> so we with only three of us here, it's, it's a lot of work, but we all work really well together and we all have worked together long enough. We know what we expect out of each other and, and what needs to be done and what doesn't. And there's there's those times where we've realized, you know, family and stuff matters too. And there's days in the summer where if what we're doing isn't isn't that important or doesn't need to be done right then if Bruce has grandkids have baseball games and stuff that that stuff needs to happen too and so we we work really hard but we'll, we like to play too we like to play hard too <laughs> it, it's one of those things with, with what happened to dad where he worked so hard his whole life never got retirement yeah it was like you know what that can happen too much too often that there's no reason we can't be enjoying life along with what we're doing and it 
with only three of us here, it does make it kind of nice because we can make our own rules. <laughs> yeah, you're your own boss. Yeah. And, and Wes Bruce, he's, he's you know, the, the oldest of all of us. He's he was he was the same age as dad. He's okay. sixty seven now. So you know he's getting close to retirement and I tell him, You're my operator. When you wanna go home, you you make the rules and yep. you, you, I don't want your wife mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> and he does such a great job that it he he enjoys you can tell he enjoys doing what he's doing too, but I told him I'm gonna need you around even if it's just in the office or you're telling somebody else to because it'll probably take two or three people to fill his position oh, when he's gone yeah he sounds like a beast yeah he, he does a lot like he in the with him running the planner in the fall when he runs the strip tiller he knows where he wants to go and how he wants to make the strips because he knows he has to follow those the next spring with the planner so it works really good because he, he is like making strips that we could never hit with the planner, whether it's a real sharp curves or tight up against telephone poles, stuff like that. That you know, he he understands what we're looking for. He knows how many swaths are in a field, so he doesn't end up in the back far corner, and he ends up close to the driveway, so he's not driving over the berms. Those small things that when we first got started strip tilling, we didn't realize that until you finish the field, you're in the back corner. How do I get out of here without driving on these oh, now? Yeah. <laughs> I would have thought of that. <laughs> we, we learned where we wanted driveways at in some of the fields so that it was easier to get into and get lined up. Because sometimes when we think about it, it's... It, it seems like it's been 20 years and it's it's only yeah, been really. 10 that it's we've it. been trying this stuff. Not but a it, long time, really. it, No, it just seems like we've come so far because we enjoy it so much that we keep learning something new every year and then we look think back and it's like, oh, remember when we did that? And it's like, oh yeah, that was only like five years ago. <laughs> it feels like forever. Yeah. So I'm trying to get an idea for, for what you're January, we usually, well, we got, we usually are hauling corn in January. We'll haul corn January, February, and, and work in the shop. We're usually, oh, usually done f- fixing all the stuff that broke during sugar beet season by then. And usually have the planters in, working on them, making sure they're all ready and fit. We'll haul corn in February, and then March is usually delivery month sugar beet seeds start showing up things get a lot more active uh, fertilizers start getting delivered and uh, on a rare occasion I only remember once that we planted sugar beets in March usually they're in April uh, we'll get the sugar beets in and then it usually swaps over and we get right into soybeans and we'll put 300 acres of soybeans in or so and then usually swap over and start doing corn and then uh, go back to the soybeans and usually finish them but we're usually trying to hit all the pre's and all the spraying at the same time in between rains and all that um Usually that June, it's about, then uh, we start getting ready to band spray sugar beets, and we start thinking about our inner seed mix and side dressing the corn and the sugar beets, kind of through that whole time, and then, oh, we have usually 150 acres of cereal rye. Uh, That usually comes... End of July, first part of August. 
It's about the same time as the strip tail conference, so we're usually oh, always so trying to decide: do we do it before, or are we going to do it after? And it always feels really good when we get it done before we oh, go, because then, then the drive back, it don't matter what yeah. time you get that. <laughs> so you plant the cereal rye in the summer, late summer. Nope, oh, we sorry. actually we plant it in the fall, oh, and then okay. it gets harvested. Yep. Okay. And uh, so then we usually go to the strip tail conference in first part of August, and when we get back, it's usually. We're about starting uh, early dig sugar beets. Uh, it's like a lottery, and uh, we'll get the factory started. So we'll usually have to dig a few here and there. Uh, oh, in the last week of June, usually we end up starting to have to do the uh, leaf spot spray starts for the sugar beets. Is a big thing. So we, yeah, mostly uh, well, like Sarcaspora, leaf spot, and the uh, powdery mildew. This stuff. It, wet mornings we get the dew hangs around, and if it stays seventy degrees overnight, infection will come in real quick. So we uh, usually end up doing that, and we usually gotta spray about four times, five times. So that keeps us pretty busy. Um, and then usually we plant a couple, like these soybeans we're planting here are, I think, one sixes for maturity. We have, then we have a whole bunch of one twos that we're gonna put in. We usually do the one twos or the one fours to break up our soybean harvest a little bit. So we have some that come off a little bit earlier. Um, dry beans are pretty popular in this area and uh, the early soybeans gets us a chance to get in and do some harvesting about the same time as those guys are going we can get some cover crops started and then uh, usually we hope to finish the beans by the time we start permanent pile sugar beets that is usually about the 20th 23rd of October and then uh, when we're done with the sugar beets, then we start corn, finish with corn. And usually, we're usually done with corn about November 15th, just in time to, yep, and go sit in the hunting shack for deer season and just go to take a nap because oh, nice. you're just too tired. <laughs> uh-huh. And then usually, kind of in between all that, we are hitting up about every meeting we can that's close and trying to be part of everything. Uh, what are your like approximate seeding rates for each crop? Um, soybeans were at uh, 120,000 seeds an acre. We slow, we started at 140 when we started strip tilling. We've slowly started backing it down with putting it through the seed plates and stuff. We're, we're getting a lot better stands. Um, and we haven't had to deal with white molds quite a big deal around here uh, he will adjust and we'll make prescriptions sometimes if we know we have a real sandy part of a field he'll bump it up in those spots and get that 140 on it just to try and shade the ground some And um, corn with the twin row corn we were uh, doing 38,000 seeds that gave us about a 10 to 10 and a half inch triangle. Um, we lowered it down. This year we, we got a second planter, so we'll plant at 36,000 in a single row at 30 inch. And uh, sugar beets are uh, 54,000 to 60,000, and we're in a 30 inch space for that. So we're usually right around there. We've uh, and the same thing, genetics and everything have gotten so good, we've found we've been able to back that down a little bit, and we're getting just as good or better stands than what we used to back in before some seed treats and coatings and stuff like that. And then what kind of planters do you have again? Do you have two of them? Or? Yeah, we have two planters. They're both stack-fold Monosem planters, uh, 12 row uh, or 30 foot um, one has the center fill on it, and that is the twin row. 
And we used that originally to plant even the sugar beets. We jacked a row up and built a hitch to offset it four inches to get that row in the center. But we were carrying a lot of weight on that very first pass early in the year. And so this uh, winter we bought another Monosem. Same year and everything, so parts are interchangeable. And uh, it's just single row and with a seed hopper, so no center fill. Nice and light and it floats over the ground real well. So we're going to use it for corn this year in a single row. So we can have the uh, soybean planter going at the same time. Next year we are going to do, we'll have a field, uh, 160 acre field that we are going to block off in 90 foot strips in the field and do 90 foot of twin row, 90 foot of single row, all the way across the field and see what, what the difference is. Everybody wants to know the, is there a yield bump, is there not, is, and so we figure we'll, we'll be able to see it. the one, one major reason why we were going to single row corn this year was we've been doing in-furrow pop-up. And with that planter, the twin row planter, we set it up. We needed a 12 row for sugar beets. Well, then we open a valve and split it into two seed trenches. And the idea of an acre is an acre but if i have two seed trenches and i'm splitting the value of what should be in one seed trench and now i'm putting it in two it's not enough for that corn and unless you get like that sure shot or the pulsing stuff and we usually want to spend the extra money and right now we figured rather than doubling the fertilizer rate to put more in a trench we just put it into a single row to try it for now and then next year do the studies on same volume of fertilizer, everything, single row and same in the twin and just split it into two and then do a few passes where we double the fertilizer rate to see and then do the pencil sharpening thing, see which one yeah. made, made the most money or broke in. even. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we've been just as interested as everybody else, but at the time that's what we wanted to do. We we wanted narrow or twin row soybeans to close the row sooner was what we were going for and the twin row corn was intriguing to us at the time as fertilizer prices and everything started climbing and seed cost. Yeah. Well, so we thought, well, you know what, we can lower our seed cost by a single row, the fertilizer a little bit. And that'll wrap things up for this edition of the Strip Till Farmer podcast. Big thanks to Yetter Manufacturing for making the series possible. Thanks to Ryan and Melissa Shaw for giving us a peek behind the curtain. And thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. Until next time, for all things Strip Till, head to striptillfarmer.com. Have a great day.